everybody, welcome to episode 294 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And I'm excited about today's topic because it's something I've been chatting with a lot of athletes about with this fall racing season upon us, including races coming up this weekend in Indianapolis for a bunch of rogues as well as New York City. But the topic is pre-race insecurities, pre-race doubts, pre-race demons. We all face them in some format. And I've been advising a lot of people recently on how to address them. And so today we're going to be talking about seven types of pre-race demons and doubts that I've been seeing a lot recently. And I'm going to talk about ways specifically to try to address or slay some of those demons, exercise those demons, if you will, so that you can be present and ready to race your best on race day itself. So we'll get to that in just a second. Wanted to, first of all, thank my sponsors for this episode because I've got a new sponsor actually kicking in with this episode. First of all, got a several month sponsor, Athletic Greens. I'll be talking more about them as we get into the episode and also have a new sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the largest online therapy service provider. And since mental health is something I'm really passionate about, it's a perfect partnership for me. I'm excited to talk about the offer I have for you from BetterHelp. So I'll I'll be talking about that as we get into the episode, introducing you to them for the first time. So thanks again to Athletic Greens and to BetterHelp for supporting this episode. Before we jump into the main topic, I wanted to quickly remind you for those listening to this as it's posted or near when it's posted, we've got the New York City Marathon coming up this weekend. So hopefully everybody's there tuning in on Sunday morning for the race. We've got easy access to watching it this time. It'll be on ESPN in the main television feed, but then you can also download the New York City Marathon app and watch live feeds of every single race uninterrupted, depending on which race you're most excited about. That's something I think this is the first time a major marathon has provided that kind of access. So even if you don't have access to ESPN, you can for free watch any of the elite races on the New York City Marathon app. So highly encourage you download that and cheer on New York this weekend as it's going to be a good one. We've got Helen O'Beary, Olympic medalist in the 5K and 10,000, who's going to be debuting in the marathon And I think many have her down as the likely favorite, even though this is her marathon debut. So that'll be one to watch. And on the American side, for the women, we've got Emma Bates racing. We've got Kira D'Amato, Des Linden, Alphine Tulliamuk, Steph Bruce, Nell Rojas, a who's who of American marathoners that'll be out there, which will be fun to see how they perform in this race. This is incidentally Steph Bruce's last marathon as she wraps up her final year of racing and as her retirement series continues it'll be great to see if she can post a result here in her final New York and then on the men's side we've got returning champion from last year Albert Courier we have recent London champion Shura Katata as well as Evan Chabet who recently won the Boston Marathon and so a lot of returning major champions in this New York field on the men's side, which is going to make it really, really competitive up front. And then on the American from of the Americans, we've got Galen Rupp who'll be out there. Elkanah Cabet, who was the top, top American last year in the field. We've got Jared Ward, former 2016 Olympian, Scott Fobble, 
who was the Boston, the top American in Boston this year, and then Ben True, who was last year's seventh place place finisher right behind Cabet. So a solid American field as well. It'll be fun to see who ends up top American of that group. But no matter what, you're going to want to be tuning in on Sunday to see these races go off to quickly run down the schedule at 8 a.m. Eastern. The wheelchair division starts at 822 Eastern. The hand cycle category starts at 840 Eastern in the women's open division and then 905 the men's open division starts then wave one of everybody else starts at 910 and you've got waves that proceed all different five waves every 35 minutes or so and they proceed all the way till 1130 a.m. Eastern on Sunday morning so tune in via ESPN or via the app so that you can watch that coverage to see these races go off it's going to be an exciting exciting morning as it always is with New York. So that's what we have by way of intro. Now let's jump into my main topic, which is talking about the pre-race demons that you might face and how to address them. And before I jump into that again, I've got seven different types that I consistently see across some of the racers that I work with, but I want to emphasize a couple of things before we jump into those seven. The first is that everybody deals with these demons in one form or another. There's not a person in my experience that is immune to the pre-race nerves and anxieties and doubts that pop up. It's going to happen. And if it's happening to you, it's okay because you're not alone in that. So please don't beat yourself up or think that there's something wrong with you if you're feeling any of the things that I'm about to list. It's completely normal. It's a part of it. When you have a big goal, then you're going to face doubts. Otherwise, your goal wouldn't be big enough. And I can tell you, even as someone who's lined up on 21 marathon start lines and about 150 race start lines, there's always nerves in, fum- in some form, no matter what. I can't, I can't say I've ever been on a start line where I wasn't nervous unless it was a start line where I was perhaps just running and pacing somebody else. But if I had my own personal goal on the side, on the line, then I was facing some of these pre-race demons myself in one form or another. So it's normal, it's a part of it, and there's nothing wrong with you if you're feeling these things. Additionally, the other point to make is that I want you to acknowledge these feelings when they come. This this episode isn't about making these feelings go away because again, they're going to be there, they're going to come, but it's more about acknowledging them and then developing your skill sets in getting past it and working through it. And so as somebody who's done a lot of races through the years, these these feelings still pop up, these doubts still pop up, but and that's okay, but what I'm better at now is actually the coping mechanisms, learning how to process these things so that they don't get in the way of my performance. And look, we're never going to get perfect. We're always, or we're never going to be perfect. We're always learning on these things, but you do get better at it with over time, with practice, with work and with experience. And so I want you to have that encouragement that this isn't about shutting out these feelings or not acknowledging them. In fact, I think that's an important first step in dealing with any of these doubts and feelings that come But then it's all about how do you then translate that energy into productive work to get through it, to channel it, to cope with it in a way that's not going to get in your way. 
So that's what this is about. Again, everybody faces these types of feelings. You're not alone. And two, I'm not asking you to not have these feelings or to not acknowledging them. In fact, acknowledging them is an important part of taking these next steps. And so the first thing I want you to do if you're having any of these feelings is just to recognize it, to call it out, to name it, to even write down what you're feeling so that you can then apply logic and tactics to address it. So note it, acknowledge it, and then go about taking some of the steps that I'm going to talk about now to work through it. So here we go. I've got seven potential things for you to think about that might be some of your pre-race demons and how to address each one of them in at least a few different ways. So here we go. Number one, the first and one of the more common pre-race demons and doubts that I deal with is the simple statement that I didn't do enough. I didn't do enough. I could have done more. This is really, really common. It manifests oftentimes in people giving me a list of things that they may have missed, adjusted, didn't do in training for whatever reason, whether that be because of injury, a little niggle that they were dealing with, or perhaps life just getting in the way. And so that's a very common thing where you get to the finish of a training cycle and you're standing on that start line thinking, man, I could have done more. I could have done more. And so what I want you to do in facing this demon is first of all, acknowledge that those adjustments that you've made likely were completely the right call and should actually give you check marks or stickers that go into the positive column because making adjustments when life gets in the way, when things are hard, when injuries happen are, are actually better than digging a bigger hole for yourself. And so this is about reframing some of those misses from I did that and that's taking away from my performance to I made that choice and that adjustment, which is actually helping my performance because it allowed me to manage some chaos or stress in my life or training situation that that kept me from digging a hole when I was faced with the challenge. And so you want to flip the script. And this gets back to something I talked about in my last episode, where oftentimes we think when we miss or make adjustments because something happened, we think of that as a negative. And in many cases, it's actually a positive. That's actually the right decision to make so that you don't bury yourself when you're facing some of these challenges in life and in training. And so make sure that you're reframing that as a checkbox in the positive direction that you're actually going to, that you're actually going to be even more prepared because you made those adjustments. Because the truth is there's no such thing as a perfect training cycle. There's no such thing as a perfect training cycle. And in fact, I get worried as a coach when someone has a perfect training cycle, because that's likely, that likely means that they were powering through something instead of making real adjustments that need to be made based on whatever they may have faced in that cycle. And so just powering through and checking a box when you should be making adjustments could actually be more challenging or maybe perhaps more compromising because you didn't allow yourself to adjust and recover from whatever that was that you were facing. So flip the thought process. The things that you didn't do weren't bad. In fact, they were good because that allowed you to make those adjustments 
recover in a way that would allow you to continue and finish the overall training cycle. So flip the script in your mind instead of saying, well, I didn't do X because say I didn't do X and that was a good thing because it allowed me to reframe things in the context of the training cycle that allowed me to continue to adapt to get to a better place than I would have had I just powered through. So step one here, sort of reframing some of those misses or adjustments in training. Step two for me is then focusing on all the things that you did do instead of the things that you didn't do. So I like people to go back and review their training logs because then you can create a list of the tough workouts, the long runs, the speed work. Create a list of the things that you did do and that got you to where you are instead of thinking about the things that you missed. And look, at the end of the day, if you missed a big chunk of training for whatever reason, you have to be realistic and set up a realistic plan to go attack the race based on what you did do. But for the most part, if you're in this place and you're having this doubt, it's less because you missed a big chunk of training and more because you're just simply focused on the wrong things. So again, instead of focusing on what you didn't do, focus on all the things that you did do. And in particular, I want you to highlight three or four big sessions, workouts, or long runs that really point to your preparedness. And in doing that, it's not about necessarily picking or focusing on the workouts that went perfectly, that went really well, but rather the sessions that maybe they went well, but perhaps were challenging that you worked through that were really tough and maybe it wasn't perfect, but that you were able to navigate it physically and mentally in a way that caused you to come out the other side stronger. So think about and reflect on three or four of those big sessions, big workouts, big long runs that point to you being ready. Think about all those 20 mile runs that you've been able to put in. Think about all the overall volume that you've been able to put again, put in and make that list and then focus on those things, on the things that you did do versus the things that you didn't do, because that's where your power is going to lie. I can tell you from personal experience that some of my best races have come after less than ideal training cycles. For example, I think about my last two marathon PRs, and in one of those cycles, I was managing an injury the entire time, and so it meant less than optimal training in terms of being able to hit every single run because I had to cut back a little bit of volume to manage the injury. I remember all of my long run workouts came with me managing that injury. So sometimes I had to make adjustments to those so as not to put my body over the edge. I also remember that my last big long run workout during that cycle was on a warm day in the fall. I was racing in December and it didn't go very well. I didn't hit my paces. I struggled at the end, but I fought through and executed the workout to the best of my ability and the paces were off, but I stayed in it and I did the best I could. And I fought all the way through that workout and was, I remember being disappointed about it and worried that I'd be able to execute what I wanted to on race day. But ultimately I put that behind me, focused on what I had been able to accomplish and then showed up on the start line with a clear mind and just executed my plan. And sure enough, it worked out on that day and I got that PR. And then the next cycle for my most recent marathon PR, because I remember just not 
ever feeling super sharp during the cycle. Like I was struggling to find the top edge of fitness and I went into that race wondering if I was really there or not, but I was committed to going for it no matter what and ended up getting a PR by 12 seconds that day because I put all that training behind me, put the question marks behind me and just showed up and executed my plan and fought all the way on race day. And I got it done, even though I felt like I hadn't quite gotten to that super sharp peak place in training. So you just never know. And you got to put all that behind you again, focus on what you did do and not what you didn't do and then go execute your plan. So those are some thoughts for, for those that might be facing that doubt, that question that says, I didn't do enough. My suspicion is that you did. So focus on what you did do and not what you didn't. So that's number one. Number two, number two, one of the the, the other doubts that I see people face a lot is what if something bad happens again? What if something bad happens again? And sometimes it's manifests in the form of what if something bad happens? Sometimes it's what if something bad happens again? Because sometimes people come into a race carrying a little bit of baggage, perhaps from their last race that didn't go as well as they had wanted. And so they start to carry that forward with them into their next race instead of leaving that behind. And look, I get it. When you have that history, when something goes poorly, and sometimes you might have a couple of bad races go poorly, and then you start to wonder if you're ever going to have a good race again. It's hard to put that stuff behind us, but you have to do it. You have to do it and you have to face what's in front of you. If you think about heads and tails, if you're calling heads or tails, if I call one this time, it doesn't have anything to do with what the outcome will be on the second flip. If you call heads on the first flip and it's tails, that doesn't affect the next flip. And in in many ways, it's true for us with racing. We want to often tie races together that if this happened in this day, then it's likely to happen to me again when it's not necessarily. Certainly, if you've made a mistake and you didn't learn your lessons from that prior result and you carry that forward into your next race, then you might see the same pattern manifest again. But most likely, if you took your lesson and you implemented it, it's not necessary that that's going to happen to you again. So you got to put history behind you. But again, it's hard. It's hard to do that, especially for those that might have had a handful of tough recent races. So what do we do? with that baggage. What do we do with that baggage? And I'll give you a couple of things. One is you have to leave that stuff behind you properly. Now, one way I tell people to do this is if they have a bad experience, they have to feel all the feels in that moment so that they can get that out and and put it behind you in the moment so that you're less likely to carry it forward. So that's something that Obviously, if we're at this point and race day is coming up, you couldn't do now if you didn't do that before, but that's something to remember on those bad experiences to make sure you feel all the feels. But beyond that, if you're carrying something forward, then I highly recommend that you leave that in the past in some physical way, some physical way. And there's a couple of different ways we can do that. And some of you might say that these are cheesy examples, but I think there's something real and tangible about doing a physical act in order to put things behind you. Not unlike how you might do if you had a bad breakup in a relationship, but I want you to actually physically write down 
those experiences, those poor races, those bad things that happened to you, put them on little slips of paper and then dispose of those things in some physical, tangible way. Could mean simply having a little mini bonfire and actually burning those things. It could mean shredding them. It could mean ceremoniously dumping them in the trash can and moving beyond. But I do think there's something powerful about writing down those things that you're carrying forward and then having a physical ceremony to dispose of them. So that's step one is you got to put the past in the past and leave it behind you because it's not going to help you on this new race day. So properly process and dispose of those past experiences. Second thing is you have to flip the mental script. You have to flip the mental script. We often get into this pattern and it's not uncommon for people to be thinking about what if negative versus flipping the script and thinking about what if positive. And so I want you in doing that to think about just like with training, instead of thinking about the things that you haven't done, think about the things you have done. Well, in this situation, I want you instead of thinking about the things that could go wrong, I want you to think about both the reasons why things will go well. So what are the things you can point to that say, hey, I'm ready to do what I'm trying to accomplish? And two, then create a list of the things that could go well. What if you feel amazing and you then manifest race day, the race day that you want? What if it gets hard, but you use your mental tactics to fight through that and still finish strongly? What if you get to mile 23 and even though it's hurting because it's a marathon or mile 11 because it's a half, even if it's hurting, you fight through that and still finish strongly with those final miles being your fastest of the race. What if you get to that finish line with the time you want on the clock? So change your narrative in your set in your head. Again, acknowledge all of those things that you're feeling and the baggage that you've been carrying and dispose of it in a ceremonial way, but then flip the script. Think about the what if positives. What are the reasons why things will go well and what are the ways why things will go well and focus there. Focus on the potential positive outcomes that could happen because honestly, that's the only productive thing you can do to combat some of those negative thoughts about what could happen poorly. So flip the script, flip it from what if negative to what if positive and one way to imprint that into your brain and into your process is through visualization visualize a race from start to finish that looks like the race that you want. That includes all of the chaos of the start line and adrenaline of the start line and executing your plan well from mile one. That includes dealing with perhaps some challenges on the course, facing some pain or perhaps some urges to slow down at different points in the race. And then that includes mentally addressing those things with all of the toolkits that you bring to bear. That includes finishing well and strong in spite of some of those challenges. And that certainly includes, as I just mentioned, seeing the time you want on the start line with you crossing underneath it victorious. And it includes what does that celebration look like when you get to the line? Because there is true science that tells us that visualization helps us actually feel like 
from a neurological standpoint, feel like we've actually done something before. So that's a way to take those what if positives and imprint it into your nervous system, literally so that you can have a better chance of achieving that on race day. So leave the baggage behind and then focus on the what if positives by doing the visualization that will make that even more likely to happen. Okay, so that's number two. Before I get to number three, I want to talk about my new sponsor, BetterHelp. Again, they're the largest online therapy provider. I'm a big believer personally in all of us having more access to mental health resources and tools. And I think virtual therapy is an amazing way for anybody to get access to help that can really help you across any of life's challenges. I can tell you several years ago, I sought out therapy for dealing with grief associated with losing a close friend at too young an age. Now I'm actually seeking out therapy to help with parenting, to process how to appropriately work with a teenager in my home for the first time. And while there isn't anything as tragic as losing a close friend involved in my most recent bout of therapy, it's helpful to get access to an expert who can help me with tips and tools and parenting resources that can help me process something that I've never faced. So I'm proud to be partnering with BetterHelp so that more people can have access to these resources with professionally licensed vetted therapists that you can get to 100% online so it's easy for you to access. It's got all the benefits of in-person therapy, but more convenient, more accessible, and also more affordable. So easy to do it. All you do is go to betterhelp.com. You can fill out a brief questionnaire so that they can match you with a therapist and they'll pick someone for you based on that questionnaire. If things don't work out with that therapist, you can easily switch down the road. There's no waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist, which I know can be a challenge when you're trying to find that right person. To learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, Go to betterhelp.com forward slash running rogue. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash running rogue to get the help that you might need. All right, let's get to number three on my list. Number three gets to a question of the unknown. This is when you don't know what will happen and you're worried about, you have a fear of the unknown. I don't know what will happen. I don't know if I can do this. And that's pretty common. That's a pretty common feeling to have when you're trying to do something you've never done before. It could be your first marathon and you don't know what it's going to be like to cover those 26.2 cuz you've just never done it. It could be you're trying to go for a half personal best but you've never run the time that you're trying to achieve and so you don't know if you can do it. And that's okay because yeah, you've never done it before, so of course you don't know. And that's what makes it interesting and fun. But the question is, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that fear of the unknown, with that idea that we don't know what will happen? And again, this is a little bit different than focusing on the bad things that may have happened in the past. This is more about processing and managing what's in front of you. And there's a couple of ways that I like to think about this. The first is by recognizing the fact that it's okay to not know. The first is simply recognizing the fact that it's okay to not know. In fact, it's a good thing that you don't know. Because again, if you knew, then it wouldn't make it interesting. If you knew what would happen, if you could guarantee the outcome of your race, if you could guarantee that you could finish it or that you could get a certain time, there wouldn't be any point in the pursuit. It wouldn't be interesting. 
it wouldn't be a big enough goal. So step one here is just simply acknowledging that. Yeah, recognizing you're having these feelings, this fear of the unknown, but then shifting that from something that should be scary to something that is exciting, to something that gets your adrenaline going because it syncs up with the reason why you're there in the first place. So flip the script. This isn't a bad thing to not know. It's actually a good thing to not know. It means that your goals are big enough. It means that you get to go to a place that you've never been before. So that's exciting in and of itself to explore new limits and test yourself in a way that's fun. So flip the script. It's not a bad thing to not know. It's a good thing. It's an exciting thing. It means adventure. It's kind of like taking a trip somewhere for the first time and having that nervous anticipation of what you might discover in that new place. And sure, there's always fear associated with that. But more than that, the excitement outweighs the fears if you're going to someplace cool where you've always wanted to go. And so this is just like that. It's like going to a new destination. It's like exploring a new country or a new place because you are. You're going into the unknown world and it's okay to have feelings associated with that. But I want you to focus on the excitement and the energy that comes with that adventure versus the doubts and the fears. So frame it appropriately. And then the second tip here is just to simply focus on exactly what's in front of you. Once you've reframed it from something that's scary to something that's exciting, then you have to focus on how to get there, what to do. You got to follow your itinerary. Because one thing I like to say is that you can't run the entire race at once. We like to. We like to, in our head, get overwhelmed by a challenge in front of us. We like to think about what might happen at mile 10, what might happen at mile 21 of a race. And yet, you can't run mile 21 without running mile one. And so now we kind of get into the perhaps overused statement that you have to run the race a mile at a time, but it's true. You don't know if you can run a certain time for a half or a full, or you don't know if you can cover a certain distance if you've never done it before. That's a normal feeling to have. So what I encourage you to do is instead anchor anchor on what you do know. You do know you can cover however many miles. You do know you can run one mile. You do know you can run one mile in the time you're trying to achieve. You know you can run two miles in the time that you're trying to achieve. So you don't have to worry about what's going to happen at mile 10 of a half or mile 21 of a marathon. All you have to worry about is, can I execute those initial miles? Because again, you can't run the whole race at once. All you can do is start with mile one and start stringing together miles that look like what you want to run. And if you keep stringing those together, then suddenly it's going to put you in position to then get the outcome you want. And so you don't have to worry about whether or not you can do it when you get there. You just have to simply worry about what are the incremental steps you need to take that you know you can take because you've done them in training and then put yourself in position to have the result that you want. That's all you have to do. So truly, you have to take it a mile at a time. That I know is a hackneyed and perhaps overused statement, but it's true. And the way I like to frame it is 
differently, which is that do the things you know you can do in the smallest increments that make sense to you that are bite sized that you can get your head around and then focus on doing that because that's what matters. Just simply executing what you know you can do versus worrying about what happens when you get to that place you've never been before. So two things here. One, reframe it from fear and doubt to adventure and excitement. And then also focus on those smallest chunks that you know you can do rather than trying to run the whole race in your head at one time. So that's number three. How do you deal with the unknown? How do you deal with wondering what will happen? Number four, another really common one that I see people face, it's the imposter syndrome one. It's the I'm just not good enough to do what I want. I'm just not good enough to do what I want. Imposter syndrome. Again, really common, something that's everyone faces, especially facing something you've never done before. And so how do we deal with imposter syndrome? A couple of tips for you here. One is looking outside of yourself, and that's finding somebody that you can relate to that has done what you're trying to accomplish. Somebody that looks like you, that has a background that you have, that came from a place that you came from, that has a history perhaps similar to yours, who's been able to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And Look at them as inspiration in a sense that if they can do it, I can too. If they can do it, I can too. So this is all about identifying with somebody else who's been able to accomplish what you want to accomplish and making that leap to say, hey, if that person can do it, then I can get this done as well to perhaps take away some of that barrier, mental barrier to being able to get it done. So find that person, that proxy. And if you don't have that person directly, then I want you to find somebody who believes in you to get it done. So if you can't say, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. Then I want you to get somebody in your life that can speak some truth into your life and say, hey, I believe in you because I know these things. As a coach, it's one of my most profound and and biggest ways to impact someone's life is to be able to tell them what's possible. And so that could be, so that kind of message can come from a coach, can come from a friend, can come from somebody else in your life who believes in you and who knows what's possible. And so if you can't find that perfect proxy to say, hey, they can do what I can, then find that person who can speak that truth into your brain. Because oftentimes I see this with Olympic athletes that I've interviewed, somebody speaking that truth into your life or you being able to relate to somebody who's done it is a key stepping stone for then creating that self-belief that you can do it too. So look for those two things would be one part. And then the other part is also creating self-belief. I want you to think about all the reasons why you can. I want you to think about all the reasons why you can. I want you to make a list, actually write down all the reasons why you can the work that you put in, the results you've had in the past, the characteristics about your grit, your resiliency, your mental approach that bring strength to you in a situation. Write down that list, and I want you to review that list as often as you can prior to race day. 
Look at it every single day because that will gradually reprogram your mind to go from I'm doubting myself to I believe in myself. Not unlike you would do with somebody else that you might admire. If you think about it, there are people that you admire that might be, quote, heroes in your life where when you think of them, you automatically think a list, a list of things they've accomplished, of characteristics that they might show, of reasons why they deserve your, your admiration and provide you with inspiration. It's just like that, but for yourself. I want you to become your own hero in a sense. Give yourself credit for what you've been able to accomplish, for the work that you've put in, for the characteristics and the strength that you show so that you can start to believe in yourself as well. And then I want you to put that list in front of you as often as you can. Look at it every day. Put it in a prominent place in your preparation for this race so that you reprogram the brain, that you start to shift that mindset from, I I don't think I can, I'm not sure if I can, I'm not good enough, to I am good enough. I can be my own hero in a sense. There are a lot of reasons why I can instead of focusing on the reasons why you can't. So that's number four, ways to combat that imposter posture syndrome, that feeling like you're just simply not good enough to do what you're trying to do. Number five, I can't let someone down. I can't let someone down. This is a palpable one. All of us will carry this baggage at some point where we know people will be watching whether it be our coach, our teammates, our family members, people that love us in some form or fashion, we sometimes get caught worried about, what if I don't do this, what will others think? What if I don't do this, what will others think? What if I let someone down? All right, got a, I've got a couple of things for you here. First of all, I want you to think about your past for just a minute because this idea that you can let someone down in this pursuit is honestly a myth. And most likely, if you look back at your history, whether it be in running or in other ways, if you look back at your history when things didn't go the way you wanted or when you had a tough time or when you had failure, most of the time, you have people rally to your support. If you can think about examples in running, great. If it's something in other parts of your life, that's okay too. But think about those scenarios where things didn't go to plan. What happened? What happened to you? Oftentimes, and I, this isn't always true, but I'd say for a lot of people, most situations, people rallied to your support, especially in the context of our running community. When I've had those tough days for whatever reason, I've had people rally to my support even more perhaps than when I have those good days. So I want you to reflect on history and consciously recognize that this fear that you're going to let somebody down isn't actually real, that your history, your direct history points to a different outcome in those tough situations where things didn't go to plan. People rallied to your support. People came there to be here for you. People were proud of you anyway because you still went for it and tried your best. So first thing here is to directly connect to your own experiences where it might have actually been different. I can tell you for me, I talked about my Boston experience where I had to walk the last five miles of the race and ended up with a marathon time that was my personal worst 
marathon time and was about an hour slower than I had actually wanted for the day that I'd told people that I was going after. I remember I didn't have my phone with me on the course. I got finished. I was actually staying in Cambridge and I needed to process it all. So I walked back from the finish line in Boston near Copley Square all the way to my hotel in Cambridge, quite a long walk. And I was using that walk to process the emotions of it all. But again, didn't have my phone, didn't know what I would discover when I got back to my phone. And when I got to my phone, all I found were just hundreds of messages, either text messages or through social media, direct messaging of people that were concerned about me, that were there for me, that were proud of me anyway. And at that time, none of them, none of them really even knew what happened. They just knew that I didn't have the race that I wanted. And so people were rallying to my support. I remember posting a message on there that I was okay. Quick synopsis of what happened and my experiences and that I was processing it all and that I needed a good nap at that point. I remember posting that, going to take a nap and then getting back on and seeing just hundreds of messages in the comments from people that were supportive and appreciated me giving them that update. But all I got were people rallying to me in what was at the time my worst marathon time. And so if I think back to my own experiences where I didn't get what I wanted, people have rallied to me in every single case. So it doesn't jive with this point. If I look back to my direct experiences, it doesn't jive with this idea that I could let somebody down because people are going to rally to me no matter what. And I think that's probably true for most of you as well. So that's point one here is I want you to think about those direct experiences and what actually happened and recognize the reality that it wasn't that you let somebody down, but rather that they then picked you up. So that's point number one. Point two, again, just like we flipped the script in some of the other ones, I want you to flip the script here as well. And instead of thinking about this as a potential negative or weight on your shoulder, I want you to think about this as something that you can use, that you can channel. So one of the things that I like to do in races where there are timing mats, and typically in most long races, there are especially marathons where you're crossing a few different timing mats as you go. And to me, those timing mats represent your opportunity to communicate with everybody that's following. And of course, you might have people out there on course cheering you on, but more than that, you're likely having people rally and watch from home, cheering virtually through the tracking apps and the tracking results that you might be able to find online. And so whenever I cross one of those timing mats, I think about that being my way of communicating and channeling the energy of those that are cheering me on from afar. So that's my chance to connect, to communicate, to tell them I'm okay, that I'm on the way, and to think about the fact that I can use their energy, that it's helping me and not a drag on me. It's not something that I have to carry as a burden. It's something that I can channel into positive energy and mojo that's going to help me get what I want. So thinking about those timing mats as your almost like a power up in a video game. You cross those timing mats, it's like a power up where you're getting the power of those that are connecting through the data lines to your experience, your physical experience on rate today. And from my perspective, that can be a really, really powerful framing for you as you're trying to channel those that might cheer you on from afar. So this isn't actually about 
letting anybody down. It's about rather channeling the energy of those that support you, knowing that no matter what happens, no matter how it goes, they're going to be rallying to you to support you and cheer you on regardless of the result. So those are a couple of different ways to reframe this. Think about your history. Recognize that most likely everybody has been supportive of you in the past and then figure out a way to flip the script and channel it, particularly using those timing mats out on course. So that's number five. Before we get to number six, I wanted to quickly talk about my other sponsor for this episode, Athletic Greens. Been working with them now since the summer. Again, really, really like what they are providing in my life to help me feel strong and be and ready for my performances. My history on taking multivitamins is now about a year old where I ran into some issues post fall Boston last year where I was short on zinc and selenium and copper and some other important minerals. So I started taking a multivitamin, a multivitamin to get back on path for that was initially taking pills and then ultimately found Athletic Greens over the summer, which I really, really like because it's not just a multivitamin, but multivitamin, but also has other things to make me strong and help me recover, including a superfood complex, pre and postbiotics, adaptogens, and of course, all of those nutrients that come with a multivitamin part of the equation. Some people have asked me about adaptogens and what those are. They're actually plant and mushroom parts that essentially help you deal with overall stress and create balance in recovery. So that's something that's a critical element as you're trying to be your best running self. So highly recommend you check out Athletic Greens. It's got high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. It's less than a cup of coffee a day and you're investing in this all-in-one nutritional insurance that's going to make sure you can do what you want to do out on the roads. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash running rogue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash running rogue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So go check it out at Athletic Greens. Okay, let's get back to my list. We've got two more to talk about. Number six. Number six is, I can't handle the nerves and pressure. I can't handle the nerves and pressure. It's those that are trying to figure out how to take all of that anxiety and nerves and adrenaline that comes not only before race day, but certainly at that start line itself. How do you channel that into something productive so it doesn't burn valuable energy that can be put towards your performance? And and this one's tough. And believe me, I think this one's here no matter what for anybody that might be on a start line because of the challenges of lining up, trying to do something you've never done before. So how do we deal with that nerves and that pressure that comes? And I think some of this can be split into what you might be thinking about pre-race versus what you might be thinking about on race day itself. So let me give you a few things to think about. First of all, when it comes to the pre-race situation, I've got a couple of different things here. One is that you can think about either associating with those nerves and pressure or you can dissociate. Both of them can work. Some people might prefer one path. Some people might prefer another. Some people might need both depending on how they might be feeling in a situation. But when I have these nerves pop up, I like to channel it primarily for me in associative ways, meaning I associate with the race. 
acknowledge those feelings, acknowledge the nerves and the anxiety, and then channel that energy into something productive related to planning for the race. So for me, that will mean potentially looking at my race plan. That might mean studying the course map. That might mean doing some planning around pre and post race. What will I eat the night before? What will I have afterwards to celebrate? So shifting that negative or that nervous energy into productive action that is going to point me towards success and execution. So that's one way that I deal with it. And that's primarily the associative way. But then there's also the dissociative way, which is just taking your mind off things, taking your mind off things, which means not trying to think about the race at all. And so you can dissociate by doing anything from reading a book that might be fun and interesting and off topic. It could mean getting a magazine. It could be watching a movie, could be binging on some light Netflix episodes that are going to take your mind off things. So either pursue one or the other. Sometimes you need a mix of both, but either associate, channel that energy into productive execution oriented tasks or dissociate and take your mind off of things. For me, mostly I'm associative, but I know people that fall on both sides and some people that that use a mix of both. There's no wrong answer there, but that's all about how you deal with things pre-race. And then on the race itself, when you're stepping to that starting line, a couple of different strategies here. One is I want you to have a uniform, a power uniform. This is something that Kara talked, Kara Goucher talked about in her book, Strong on Mental Tips, which is to have a uniform that obviously you've practiced with in training, but that is an indication of it's time to go that gives you confidence, that makes you feel strong and powerful in it. So for me with Rogue, I've got a Team Rogue kit that I wear that puts me in that mindset that it's game day, it's time to go, and that can bring you strength that helps offset some of those nerves and some of those negative thoughts that might creep in. So have your power uniform. Doesn't have to be something that is branded like mine. Could be simply a singlet and short and shoe combination that makes you feel strong and powerful. Make sure you figure out what that is in training and then bring it to race day as that confidence pillar. That's something you could put on your armor, so to speak, that's going to make you feel strong and that's going to offset some of those nerves and offset that pressure that you might feel. And then additionally, once you get into the race itself, as I've talked about on other episodes, I like to have what I call rhythm mantras, which are things that are going to calm your mind and put you in a smooth and relaxed state, especially early in a half marathon or a marathon when it's all about efficiency, making it feel easy as easy as possible. So what are your rhythm mantras that you're going to put to work to calm your mind? I can remember my one of my marathon PRs where I really struggled in the early miles of the race. The first five miles were really hard, I think partially because it was a really cold day and my body was having trouble warming up. But I found myself at mile three or four running marathon pace, but it just feeling way too hard and like something I couldn't hold for the full 26.2 miles. And so what did I do? I went into my rhythm mantra mode, started repeating it over and over to myself to try to relax my body, calm my mind move into sort of a moving meditative space instead of letting the nerves and the pressure sort of get the best of me. And I was able to, over the next several miles, work through those feelings. 
My body came around, started to relax into the race, and then suddenly I felt strong from about mile seven on. And in that race, actually never really struggled beyond that. It went pretty amazing from there on out. So interestingly, instead of struggling in the final five miles, I struggled in the first five miles, but used those rhythm mantras to help me find that relaxed state that allowed me to sustain in the race. So what do those look like? It could, it's just words or phrase or sometimes even imagery to help you get to a calm, relaxed, efficient state to dissipate those nerves, to focus your mind on something else rather than the intense feelings that you might be feeling. So think about what those rhythm mantras might be for you. Sometimes it's simple, simply reminding yourself to smile and soak it in. In the case of that race that I was referring to, it was actually about tuning in to my breathing. Breathe in, breathe out. That kind of became my rhythm mantra is just really tuning into my breathing and trying to keep it smooth and relaxed and in a rhythm with my stride. And that allowed me to settle into the pace and then sustain it for the entire race. So think about and use your rhythm mantras that will help you calm those early race nerves. So there you go. Some tips pre-race and during the race that are going to help you work through some of those challenges. Lastly, number seven, this is a doubt that manifest pre-race where you're worrying about the end of the race and it's this simply the question what if i crack under pressure what if i can't take it when it gets hard what if i can't take it when it gets hard what then and here's where i'm going to give you a couple tips again but we're going to go now to mantras again one type of mantras are rhythm mantras another type are fight mantras those are the mantras for the end of the race that are going to put you in a position to dissociate from the challenge, to dissociate from the pain and focus on something that that is productive that can allow you to push through. So make sure you figure out what your fight mantras are as well as those rhythm mantras. Rhythm mantras are for early part of the race. Fight mantras are for the end. So this is where I encourage you, instead of leaning into those doubts about how you can handle the challenges of the late race, I instead implore you to focus on the executional elements that are going to allow you to work through it when it comes. And one of those is fight mantras. So what's the word, phrase, imagery that you're going to use to fight through? I can remember my last marathon PR, one of the things that was inspiring to me in training for that race and that I used in the race itself is thinking about the athletes that I coach and some of their memorable strong finishes in my mind and trying to channel the energy of those that I coach at the end of that race. And I was able to do that by visually actually scrolling through a Rolodex of faces that I had seen finish strongly in race day from, from athletes that I coach. And that was my inspiration to fight through a tough finish on that day. So it doesn't have to necessarily be a word or a phrase. It can be imagery as well, but that's going to allow you to, again, dissociate from the pain, dissociate from the doubts you might face, and simply fight through with that fight mantra. Now, it doesn't mean that you have no doubts or that every part of the race goes perfectly or that you're on it for every second of the race, but it simply means that you then, in those tough moments, go to the tool that's going to help you get through it versus lingering in those doubts. Then relatedly, I also want you to be thinking about what's the rest of the toolkit, the mental toolkit that you're going to bring to bear for race day. I've talked about some of these in 
my prior episodes, but doing things like going fishing, picking out those singlets or shirts in front of you and chasing them down and then finding the next person to reel in. That's one tool to use. Counting is one that I use effectively when the going gets tough where I count to 30 or 60 and I tell myself, just push for that block of time because you know you can do anything for 30 or 60 seconds. And then when you get to that 60 or 30 second mark, then you start again and you keep pushing. And oftentimes I like to save that for the end of my races because you can only do that for so long in the race itself. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about here is just to re-emphasize this point I made earlier about visualization. When you visualize your race, you want to do it from start to finish. Again, you're imprinting in your brain, in your nervous system, similar stimuli that would be like as if you actually did it yourself already. So it's a way to essentially run the race before you've even run the race so that when you get out there and you're doing it, it's not new to at least your brain and your nervous system. So I really encourage that you do that start to finish again. You don't necessarily have to do it all at once. You can do it in small chunks on runs as you prep for the final day. But it's a, it's a hugely powerful tool and I highly recommend that as a part of that visualization, you visualize the tough moments, the challenging moments, and you visualize yourself using the tools that I've talked about to work through those things. So visualize using your mantras, visualize using your fight mantras at the end, visualizing you visualize using some of these tools and doing it, doing it successfully so that you work through those challenges in your mind's eye when they come. So it's like you've done it before when you actually have to face it. And of course you want to finish that visualization with that time that you want on that finish line clock with whatever feelings that you think you might feel at that time because obviously you want to visual finish a visualization session with a positive experience with a positive association to what you're about to go do so don't neglect that part even though it sound it might sound silly or perhaps cheesy to do it science tells us that it works so visualize not only the good things happening but also visualize using these tools to face down the pressure and the challenges that 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 come late race to give you that confidence not only consciously but also subconsciously in your brain in your nervous system that you can actually go do this so there you go those are the seven things i see people face and some tips that will hopefully help you face them down as you have races coming up soon so Go out there and get it done. Know that you're not alone in facing these things and know that you now have some tools to face them perhaps better this time. Thanks to my sponsors for helping me with this episode, Athletic Greens, as well as BetterHelp. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Rogue Running, you can go to roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.